0: Welcome back, Tiger fans, to Rockham Radio's football podcast. I'm Nate Edwards. It's just me. Uh, this is your, your before the talk score. This is, this is the football podcast from Rockham Radio. You know that. It's, it's, it's a weird time of year. Um, Parker's on assignment back home for winter break just to take some time off and be a kid. Um, of course, a bunch of other of us are going to be going through the holidays traveling. Uh, I'm going to be going to the game, so that's going to be some extra travel on my end. So it's just it's a tough time right now to kind of figure out schedules. And what we wanted to do was at least give you something, right? You're on the road, you know, you're on your you're on your sled back home for the winter wonderland. Uh, I wanted to give you at least a little something for your ears while you go in the car, uh, traveling with the kids or on the plane wherever wherever you are. A little bit of Mizzou football podcasting to get you there. Um, so this is what this is going to be. It's going to be me for just a couple minutes here. Go over the major news uh, stories that have broken so far since we last recorded. I also uh, took some time to, ta- uh, to chat with some guys from Land Grant Holy Land, which is our SB Nation Ohio State site. Uh, we got Matt Tamanini from there. Uh, he took the time to talk about Ohio State and the, bowl, the Cotton Bowl game against Mizzou from his point of view. So you get a little bit behind the scenes from the Buckeye standpoint that's going to be at the end of this episode. Uh, But we'll kick it off with the news so far. Uh, The big one that we're going to talk about is yet another transfer into Missouri. This one from the U, Miami, Florida. Corey Flagg, Jr., who is a graduate student linebacker. He is leaving the U to come to Mizzou. Now, if you remember, our boy Blake Baker, he used to be employed by Miami. And, in fact, he was responsible for recruiting Corey Flagg to come to Coral Gables. So, Corey is used to Blake Baker. He is familiar with the guy. He's familiar with the scheme. He has played in that scheme while he is with the Hurricanes, that 425 uh that Blake Baker has brought uh that has brought with him to Mizzou as well. So, does he know the guy? Yes. He is familiar with Blake Baker, the defensive coordinator. Does he know the scheme? Yes. He has been playing basically the the weak side outside linebacker role in the four two five since he has been on campus with Miami that is all good. Then the question comes, is he any good? Right? He was a, a very high three-star coming out of high school, kind of a borderline four-star depending on the uh, recruiting service that you subscribe to. But Corey, I mean, he has, he has played every single year that he has been in college. He did not ever take a redshirt year. So his first year was the COVID year in 2020. He played eight games. Then in 21, he played 12 games. 22, he played 11 games. 23, this past year, he played 12 games. So He is a pure graduate student. He essentially has two years to play one thanks to the COVID extensions because he has not taken a red shirt yet. So if for some reason he plays four games or fewer this year, then he could technically come back. That is true for Marcus Carroll, the uh, Georgia State transfer as well. But like I said with Marcus Carroll, if he plays less than four games, obviously that's not a good thing. So let's just assume, much like Marcus Carroll, he is a one-year rental, except this time he's going to be at the linebacking position. The thing about Corey Flagg is that when he was used with the Hurricanes, he was definitely used as a Havoc machine. So if you're thinking, okay, well, what does this mean from a roster standpoint? Does that mean Tyron Hopper's for sure gone? That might be. Might be. This might be the insurance for that. Or, you know, maybe, I mean, even if you accept an invite, you know, I don't think that necessarily means you are for sure gone. But uh, if he spurns that invite, decides to come back, I don't know. At least that means that you have a backup piece that can that can rotate in at the same time and and spell him. But I think for the coaching staff's purposes and for our purposes, it seems like Corey Flag was brought in to be the replacement piece for Tyron Hopper, especially since Chuck Hicks earlier today, this is Friday the twenty second, came out and said that he was definitely coming back for his seventh year. So uh, we are assuming that Hopper is gone and Flag is going to be his replacement. Flag is a havoc monster, just like Hopper was. He has 1,531 snaps in his career. He's made 160 tackles. 21 of those were for loss. He's got five and a half sacks, 28 run stuffs, five passes broken up, an interception, and a forced fumble. This dude likes to get after it. Um, When I was watching Miami highlights, he would mostly line up as an outside linebacker kind of like a weak side guy. Sometimes he'd be strong side or or that inside linebacker spot. He even lined up a couple of times that i saw as like a hand in the dirt edge rusher. so like that's that's he likes to bring pressure and Miami used him to do so. now the reason why he's in the portal is that his usage was dwindling as time went on. Uh, he had 557 snaps in that 2021 sophomore year. And then 418 in 2022. And that went down to 369 snaps in 2023. I couldn't tell if he was injured or if someone had usurped him, but his usage had gone down. His old DCs at Missouri having a great time and they needed a linebacker. It Made a ton of sense. So I don't know how we're going to see him. I don't know how Blake Baker wants to use him, but he is a guy not only uh, just in size, but in style uh, that Tyron Hopper can be. And he seems to be that replacement uh, on the outside, the the weak side linebacker spot, uh, a guy who can bring havoc and bring a ton of experience, uh, first and foremost, uh, to a linebacking core that was definitely going to need it. So, that's good. We've talked about Blake Baker. Let's talk about the coordinators, because that's the second big news item that's hit this past week. Both Kirby Moore and Blake, Blake Baker were extended. Uh, Their contracts were extended. Now, the details have not come out yet. I have not seen them again. It's the 22nd. It's the morning of the 22nd. I have not seen that yet. But as Eli Drinkwitz promised, he said, keep your eyes on the social media. We might be releasing something soon. And lo and behold, both Kirby and Blake had their contracts extended. This is good. This this is obviously a good thing. I know Kirby Moore's name was batted around for uh, the head coaching position at Boise, which Boise was never really truly considering him. They were considering his brother a lot more than him. Uh, A lot of people in the industry thought that for Kirby as a head coach, he needs a little bit more seasoning as an OC. So if he were to leave, it'd be probably for another coordinator job, at least for the open jobs that were on the market. This year, they all felt he needed some more time. Blake Baker, on the other hand, has been a coordinator and a position coach for a very long time, certainly longer than Kirby Moore. His alma mater is too late. Now, you can't just say, oh, this dude went to this school, therefore he will always consider that job as his dream job. That's just not the case. Think about you. Would you want to go work for Mizzou or would whatever your particular alma mater is? I mean, It's work. <laughs> Doesn't that... Lessen the thought of and the joy of, of being at your college a little bit, even if it is uh, you know you, something that that's that's true to your heart and working for something that's close to your heart, it can still ruin it. So I I would not say that just because someone is an alum uh, means that they're an ironclad lock to then go back and coach you know that school's football team. However, Blake Baker's name was thrown around for the open two lane job once Willie Fritz went to Houston. Obviously, he did not go. Uh, John Summerall is going to be the, the head coach there. But this is important. Um, you know, the ghost of BK is telling me right now that you want your coordinators to go on to head coaching jobs or better OC jobs. And even Eli Drinkwood said that earlier this year. He said, I don't want my guys to leave for lateral positions. You know, i a position coach at a Power 5 program, going to another one of those, you know, being a coordinator at Mizzou and then going to be a coordinator at like, I don't know, south carolina you know or oklahoma state like he doesn't want lateral moves he wants his guys he wants his staff to take the position that they're in and go to a position that is better than where they currently are so like think of a jacob peeler becoming an oc somewhere you know blake baker or kirby moore becoming a head coach somewhere Or hell you know al Pogue becoming a head coach somewhere like you want them to go somewhere where the job is a higher title that's what he wants and of course, BK would tell you that's a good thing. And I would tell you the same thing. It is a good thing. When you are recruiting students, when you're recruiting athletes, you say, Hey, when you come to Mizzou, we're going to make you so good. We're going to put you on such a good team that you're going to be able to get drafted, right? That's your job. We're going to get you your first job out of school because that's what we do. We put we, we place guys in jobs. We're job placement school. That's what that's our program. That's our football team. We get you in the NFL. Same thing for coaches. Eli Drinkwitz goes out there and he pitches, you know, a position coach at Mizzou or a coordinator at Mizzou. He says, look, man, you come here, you, you run my stuff, my program. I'm going to get you a head job. I'm going to get you a G5 coaching job. I'm going to get you a Ohio state, Texas, USC coordinator job. Like that's, that's what you're going to get when you come with me. Because as much as we want coordinators and position coaches to, to work and stay here for their entire life, like Gary Pinkle spoiled us at the end of the day, That's just not realistic. And as Clemson has showed us, it's actually good to move some of those guys out and get new blood into the system so you can stay relevant and stay stay current with what the current football mind is. So it is a good thing, though. I say all that to say it's a good thing that they're holding on to Kirby and Blake because this will be Blake's third year. This will be Kirby's second year. And boy, Mizzou is returning a lot. And they had the potential, the potential to return even more than what we already think they are. Obviously, I'm, I'm privy to some rumors, but, you know, who knows what it's going to be. But even even then, you're returning your quarterback. You're returning a good chunk of your offensive line. You're returning almost every receiver. On defense, yeah, you're getting some restarts on the interior, but you still have some guys coming back. Your secondary, you know, it seems like there's not going to be a huge drop-off. And from the portal, you're bringing in some huge additions the statement Missouri is making, I said it at the last show, I'll say here the, the statement that Missouri is making, both with their investment in their coordinators, their investment in the portal, and how they're bringing guys in, is that we are making a run for this new expanded 12 team playoff now. Not two years from now, not three years from now, not maybe. Now, 2024, we are going for it. That is what their actions are saying. That's what the investment is saying. So locking down your coordinators for another year, keeping that familiarity, even if that means that the opposition has a year of tape on these guys, keeping that the same, bringing back those starters, those older starters, that experience. That is what all of this is saying, which again is wild to me. I cannot believe I'm sitting here realistically thinking that Missouri not only is investing in a shot in the playoff, but actually might have a decent chance at making it given this schedule. And what they're returning, I mean, it's all early. I, the, we're putting the cart before the horse here a little bit. I understand that because the season's not even technically over. But bringing back your coordinators just continues that conversation of we're we're making a run in 24, which is very exciting. It's it's fun to be excited about your football team and think that they can do great things, not only this year when they won 10 games, possibly 11, but then turn around and make another special year next year. That's That's just too much fun. But that's going to be next year, right? And, you know, we're going through the holiday season now. Uh, And at the end of it, before New Year's, after you know Christmas and Hanukkah and all that stuff, we get, ta-da, we get the Cotton Bowl. And that's going to be the next test for this year, the last test for this 2023 Missouri football team. So I had the liberty of going on to Land Grant Holy Lands podcast and talk about Missouri football there. If you're interested in hearing that interview, I would suggest seeking them out. Uh, Land Grant Holy Land, you can type that into your search bar. Uh, You can search for podcasts. Uh, Matt Tamanini is the guy who did it. Uh, I was on there for about 20, 25 minutes. They were nice enough to let me talk mostly uninterrupted about Mizzou football there. And, of course, we returned the favor. I brought Matt on to our show. Yes, another Matt into Rock M Nation like we need another one. Uh, But at least this guy is in the scarlet and gray variety of Matt's. Uh, he was kind enough to talk about Ohio State, how great it is to be a fan there, what they're looking for, and what we could potentially see uh, from that matchup as we get into next Friday in the new year with the New Year Six Bowls. So sit back, relax, drive safe, safe travels. Hopefully everything goes well. And here's the interview with Land Grant Holy Land on the Ohio State Buckeyes. As promised, we are joined today by Matt Tamanini from Land Grant Holy Land. A little look behind the enemy lines into Ohio State from an Ohio State guy who follows the team and can tell us everything that we need to know about this matchup when it comes to his Buckeyes versus our Tigers. Matt, welcome to the
2: show. I appreciate it, Nate. I'm looking forward to it.
0: I got to ask this question because as Missouri fans, we have seen our ups and our downs. And it's been a long, 30, 40 years, however long you've been a fan. Uh, we've had highs, we've had lows, we've had 10 win seasons, we've 4 win seasons. i got to ask, as someone who is a fan, and I'm not being facetious about it, what's it like to be a fan of a team that's always recruiting at a top 10 level, has always sent a bunch of guys to the NFL, almost always wins 10 games, has the best winning percentage in the history of the sport? What is that like? How cool is that?
2: Well, Nate, how long do you have? Because uh, (laughs) I am an Ohio State grad who is the son of two Ohio State grads. So I am a lifelong Buckeye and I am old enough to remember when that was not always the case. Uh, Ohio State has always been hitting on some of those things. But I came of age in the John Cooper era where Mm. the top 10 recruiting classes and guys in the NFL did not necessarily always correlate to Big Ten championships or competing for national championships. So the past 20 years, especially up until three years ago when Ohio State uh, started its current losing streak to Michigan, uh, it was great. Uh, uh, the outcomes were great, but I will tell you, the the games themselves have not always been as exciting, partially because of the way that Jim Tressel coached football. Mm-hmm. Uh, the results were awesome. The games were kind of boring and sluggish. Urban Meyer started with a more exciting offense so those games were fun but then he also I guess maybe it has to do with coaches getting uh, a little older got a little bit more sluggish and and tedious so the outcomes for the past 20 years you know discounting the the ends of the last 3 seasons have been awesome it's been fun love seeing uh Ohio State players called early and often in the NFL draft um but I also think it has to do with how much of your individual personality is tied into the success of the college football team. And that this also rings true for professional teams of whatever sport you follow. Um, There are because Ohio state, and you might've seen these studies and graphics go around throughout the college football season, Ohio state, according to whoever does this tallying has the largest fan base in, in college football one, because it's for decades and generations now been one of the largest, if not the largest uh, universities in the country. That means that there are some very vocal people uh, in the fan base, as there is for every fan base, who always like to be mad about something. And just because of the the law of large numbers, because Ohio mm-hmm. State does have such a large fan base, there are just you know quantity wise more of them. So it appears to be louder than it actually is. Um, so that, especially with the advent and influx of social media has made things a little bit less enjoyable despite some of the successes. Um, So, yes, would obviously take what we have had for the past 20 years over the converse or uh, as opposed to what we saw with John Cooper. But it's not all sunshine and rainbows. Um, You know, there are peaks and valleys. And like I said, if you only care about Ohio State being um, the best at everything and like that is the only thing in your life that matters, then you can have some ups and downs. But if you're a fan who just enjoys the sport and likes Ohio State winning a lot of games in double digits and playing in New Year's Six games and stuff like that in college football playoffs, it's been pretty good. So um, are there complaints? Absolutely. I think it is the right and the responsibility of fans to point out issues, which there are a lot of with this year's team. But when you take a step back and look at it, yeah, things are pretty good to be a Buckeye fan these days.
0: So heading into this game, you know, you've had... Starting quarterback, go into the portal and end up in Syracuse, New York, of all places. Which kudos to you guys for winning so many games with a Syracuse caliber I mean, quarterback.
2: You guys know how how big of a draw those uh, those journalism programs are. Yeah, so between yeah. Missouri and Syracuse, that 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 must be where the uh, the hot spots for everybody who wants to be on TV after their playing careers are over.
0: Yeah. The, them and Northwestern, we're just, we all constantly write about how much the other one sucks in our, you know, New York times think pieces. Um, So, you know, it's McCord is there. Obviously you have a backup running back who's in the portal. And then you have just a slew of NFL talent guys who could be going in the draft and maybe playing, maybe not. So, you know, you're going to know a little bit more than I am as far as who's anticipated to leave or whoever, but like at the end of the day, what, what does this game against Missouri mean for this
2: Ohio State team? if you would have asked me that question on I guess that would have been uh, December 11th I would have said it this is the game doesn't mean anything I mean it, there's so many players gone it's a it's it's a disappointment coming off the fact that they lost a one score game to Michigan could have been the number one team in the college football playoff if they had won that game. Now this is just at most an exhibition game. But then on Tuesday the 12th, we got word as to what players had decided to play this game that could have potentially sat out. And of all the players who could have come back or could have left, the vast majority of them decided they wanted to play this game. Now, that does not mean that they are all be back for the 2024 season. But the number one cornerback on the team, Denzel Burke, will be playing in the, in the Cotton Bowl. Number two wide receiver, Emeka Ibuka. The number two cornerback, Jordan Hancock. The number one offensive lineman, Donovan Jackson. The number two, or I mean a starting defensive end, uh, Jack Sawyer will be playing. Starting middle, or starting linebacker, Cody Simon will be there. Starting defensive tackle, Tyreek Williams. They will all be there. All of those guys could have potentially left for the NFL draft. They, they decided not to do that. So I think that kind of re-energized the fan base in terms of what to expect from this game because I think a lot of people had just written off, okay, well, Ohio State's going to lose. We're going to get to see some young players, which is good because, you know, as you talked about, when you recruited a top 10 level, sometimes you don't see those players in the first couple of years. So we thought, okay, this is an opportunity with all the guys in the portal, all these guys going to the NFL, we're going to get to see players like C.J. Hicks, Carnell Tate, Brandon Ennis, um, and while we still might see that just because of all of the guys who are in the portal who are depth players, they're not going to be the ones starting necessarily in in a lot of these positions. Ohio State is still waiting to hear whether Marvin Harrison Jr., uh Trivion Henderson, and uh JT Tui Malow are going to play in the Cotton Bowl. Um, we're recording on, you know, I have to pull the curtain back too far, on Friday, December 22nd. They are off for the holidays until they re- gather together on Saturday the 23rd to head down to Texas. We imagine that those announcements will happen after they are done with their time with their family. So um, depending on when this comes out, we might know these answers by now or by then. Um, Marvin Harrison Jr., obviously Heisman Trophy finalist, Balintnikoff winner, is not expected to play. Duh. I mean, no one, I don't think anyone really expected him to play uh, for Ohio State ever again. Um, but he has been at practice at least he's, I don't Mm -hmm. know that he's a full participant, but he's been at practice doing drills, not in full pads. Uh, that could just mean maybe he, maybe he will play and he's just been there and didn't want to get hurt during practice. Who knows? But Travion Henderson and JT Tween who are both guys who could be first round or second round picks. I think the lean is that they're going to play in this game, which would be huge for Travion Henderson because as you mentioned, uh Chip Trainum uh is a was the number two running back this season. He is in the portal. Uh Evan Pryor, who was the number four running back, is in the portal. Mayan Williams, who was the code backup running back this season, he's going to the NFL, but he had season-ending surgery uh back in, in November. So if Trey does not play, it's really thin. Dallin Hayden, who is a guy who played really, really well the last two seasons, but actually was redshirted this year, um, he would have been the only running back of, of consequence for the Buckeyes. So if Trevion Henderson and JT Tui Malo do decide to play, that is a big, big difference for both the offense and the defensive side of the balls. We don't know if they will or not, but their presence in the game will be a, uh, a difference maker for Ohio State uh, one way or the other.
0: Yeah, I, I I saw that, you know, Trevion Henderson's getting like third, fourth, fifth round kind of projections, depending on who you ask and what day it is. So, I mean, if you want to try and improve your stock, you come back. But at the same time, you don't really improve your stock as a running back when you come back yeah. for college. So I don't.
2: And it's another year of tread on the tires. So it's yeah. like, if I were him, I just go. You try to get that first NFL contract, Yep. get it behind you, do really well, and then get your second NFL contract, which is where you make the most money anyway. But. If he wants to come back, I don't think anybody wearing scarlet and gray is uh, is going to complain about that in 2024.
0: I mean, I, I also am I'm assuming that that rumor that uh, Marvin Harrison and Trevion Henderson are, are not getting $25 million to come back and play. I, I'm assuming that is a total it, farce.
2: N- n- no. First off, Ohio State, you, there's Ohio State leading up to National Signing Day or early signing period this past week, had a couple players flip. And I am not someone who will ever begrudge a high school student and their family making whatever the best decision is for their family. So if they wanted to go somewhere else for personal reasons, for family reasons, for financial reasons, if they just like the weather better, go where you want to be. I am never going to be mad about anybody leaving a school to go somewhere else if it's a better fit. But a lot of the, the conjecture and reports about that were that Ohio State's NIL money has not necessarily lived up to other schools, specifically when it comes to incoming freshman. Ohio state prefers to allocate as much of its NIL money as possible to returners. Mm-hmm. One, because I think it's one of the investments like you have a little bit of a better idea as to what they're capable of. Um, despite that fact, I cannot imagine $25 million going to uh, a player. If you get that, I mean, look, Marvin Harrison jr is in a situation different than almost anybody else in this draft class because of who his dad is yeah. like, who knows how much money he is going to get from his dad or whatever. But just from a generational wealth standpoint, like he is in a much different situation. If he wants to come back, if money is not an issue for him, of all the guys that could potentially go in the top 10, 15 in the draft, he's probably in a different position because his dad is an NFL Hall of Famer. But still $25 million is probably not going to happen. And he, he would be foolish to turn down guaranteed $30 million plus Plus endorsements if yeah. he is a first, you know, top five pick. Um, so who knows? I think that's probably an over-exaggeration in many, many ways. I
0: mean, considering the people that I've heard who run these things say that, like, blue-chip rosters run at, like, $8 million for the entire team. I'm just assuming that's... Yeah,
2: just silly. Part. It's all yeah. silly.
0: Anyway, so obviously Kyle McCord is now an Orange man. Or, well, no, orange. Orange quarterback. Just an yeah. orange. He's yeah, an, an he's orange. an orange
2: maybe maybe a clementine Who hey knows? there you go <laughs>
0: uh he's gone he's not playing and so i'm assuming it's going to be devin brown because he's kind of yes. been the only other quarterback that's taken snaps this year um i you know i took a look at the few games that he was in and and he's a he's a redshirt freshman uh i think he's you know he's run 16 times from non-sack wise for 46 yards and and thrown 22 passes with a 54% completion rating Small, small, tiny sample sizes. I have no idea what to make of this. How much does the offense change when he is in charge?
2: It's interesting because coming into the season, Devin Brown and Kyle McCord, I mean, actually went into the season not officially having a starter named. I mean, Kyle, because he was the older player, everyone kind of assumed that it was his job, and, and that's the way it mostly played out. He started the first two games, but Ryan Day continued to say that, like, He's not naming a starter. Both guys will play. Devin Brown is younger. Has a bigger upside than Kyle McCord ever did. But the problem is, is that Kyle was somebody who you could probably rely on to not make bad decisions. Sure. And Devin, like a lot of younger players are, had a tendency to try to force throws, to fumble the ball, to throw interceptions. Um, But that was in the fall. That was in August in September. Has there been progress made between now and then? Who knows? We started to see Devin get a little bit more playing time as the season went on, not necessarily as a thrower, but in short yardage and uh, red zone situations coming in as a run threat. And that is somewhere where he has a little bit more explosiveness than Kyle did. He is a much more athletic guy in the pocket. Kyle is for not necessarily having a ton of opportunities is still a really good athlete. And I think he's going to do well in Syracuse. Um, But Devin's more of a a traditional kind of scrambler. He likes to move the pocket, but he actually uh, got hurt and didn't play the, you know, the last six weeks of the season uh, because he hurt himself in a goal line push, Mm. uh, I think against Penn state. Um, He is expected to be completely healthy. (laughs) Look, he looked bad in the times that he played as, like, a thrower early in the season. He looked better as a runner. He looked a little bit more competent. He did actually have some opportunities to throw in those goal-line situations. And he looked fine. We don't get to see practice, so we don't know if there has been other progress made. Do I go into this game thinking Devin Brand is going to, like, set the world on fire? No. But, like, it could happen. Like, I mean, who knows? Bowl games are weird. Um, And, and you know, even if Marv's not there, if you've got... Beyond Henderson in the backfield, you still have a Mecca Ibuka to throw to. You've got a uh, five-star uh, Carnell Tate is a true freshman who's probably going to be the number two wide receiver in this game. It's so, like he's going to have weapons, but, I, you know, the offense will probably change a little bit just because they might allow him to do some things with his legs, um, especially if, you know, some of those, those weapons aren't there. But I don't expect him to set the world on fire. I don't expect him to come out and be C.J. Stroud or Justin Fields or, or Dwayne Haskins but he could be better than what Kyle McCord is. I don't know. I mean, I, I wish I had an answer for you, but because he didn't play a whole lot and he got injured down the mm-hmm. season, it looked like they were trying to, to ramp up his his snaps late in the season or towards the middle of the season. And maybe that, maybe that speaks to improved practice performance or maybe it just speaks to the fact that Ohio State really, really struggled for a time in the red zone. So I don't know. I don't know what to make of it. Um, if I was betting money on like who is going to be the better quarterback in this game, Probably would not put it on Devin Brown.
0: <laughs> well, here's the thing. Missouri Missouri fans can mark their time in their fandom like rings on a tree with curses. Uh, we got the north end zone curse. You know, we, we talk about that one all the time. We talk about the fifth down. But Missouri, in a losing effort against the backup quarterback, is a just nightmare scenario that occurs time and time again. It almost happened again this year against Florida when this kid Max Brown came in once Graham Mertz went down and just – just zone, just zone read us to death and almost won the game. So that is my nightmare scenario where Devin Brown comes in, Trayvon Henderson decides to play and you all just run it 50 times between the two of them. And we can't stop it. What is the realistic opportunity of that happening? Uh, or are your receivers that good where they're going to try and force him to, to throw the ball more?
2: I mean, I think Ryan day is a quarterback past first coach and he's still, despite my years of protestations, Uh, the guy who calls the offensive plays. And even if Marv isn't there, Julian Fleming, who is the number three wide receiver, has entered the transfer portal. Uh, He was mostly a blocker this year. So even though Emeka Ibuka and Carnell Tate, who I mentioned a minute ago, are probably going to be the the main two wide receivers, Cade Stover, who's a starting tight end, um, is probably out due to injury concerns. Hmm. Um, I think they'll still try to throw the ball. Um, Will they... If if Trevion Henderson does play, will they rely on him maybe a little bit more if than they would have if Kyle and Marv and Cade were still playing? Probably. And they should. I mean, Marvin or um, Travion Henderson went from the first half of the season kind of being banged up and looking like a guy who maybe never would reach the potential that he showed as a true freshman a couple seasons ago to legitimately, in my mind, if he had played the way he did in the back half of the season for the entire season probably would have been a better Heisman Trophy candidate than Marvin Harrison Jr. Was so will they give him the opportunities to run the ball? If he plays? Yeah, probably. Um, will that mean that they will, you know, throw the ball less than 20 times? Probably not. I mean, I think that just Ryan day would go into hives and convulsions if they didn't (laughs) throw the ball that much. Um, so I would expect them to still be fairly balanced. They've done a really good job this season of having a good run pass balance, uh, on offense. that's not something they had in the past when they had quarterbacks like Haskins, Fields, and Stroud. So maybe just because the quarterback and now perhaps quarterbacks have not been at that level, that's been something that they've been able to focus on a little bit more. But that's always the goal of the offense. So I don't expect that to change too, too much unless Devin goes in and just looks absolutely horrendous and throws, you know, picks on three of the first four drives or something like that.
0: Sure. So it sounds like you you think that Marvin Harrison will not be playing in this game, but obviously uh, sitting here on Friday the 22nd, we have not heard anything official Correct. yet. Um, where does Marvin Harrison rank in the pantheon of Ohio state receivers? Cool. And then how, is, how essential is he to this offense doing what it does the best?
2: I mean, that's really hard. And again, I mentioned earlier, I'm old. So like, I remember guys like David Boston and Terry Glenn, um, I don't remember Chris Carter as a Buckeye, although I was alive for his entire college career, but I remember him in the NFL. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, then you throw in guys, you know, and Joey Galloway too, but then you throw in some of the more modern guys um, like Garrett Wilson and Terry McLaurin and Chris Olave. And then guys like during my era when I was in school um, with like Ted Ginn Jr. and Santonio Holmes, mm-hmm. like Ohio State has some really great wide receivers. If you're just talking about like, skill sets marv's up there i mean like marv's up there with a terry glenn um, or a david boston who were just freak athletes and incredible guys uh in terms of just making things happen terry uh tedgin jr too obviously with his speed in terms of like just pure route running he's also it, i mean incredible look at the lineage that he comes with uh because of his father not only just like the physical gifts but I think what really set Marv apart this season and during his entire time in Columbus, to be honest with you, was his work ethic. Like You would never hear of a day that Ohio State beat reporters were at the Woody Hayes Athletic Center and Marv wasn't getting extra work after practice, like with himself on a Monarch jugs gun, just catching balls over and over. So like I think in terms of the natural ability, the skills, the work ethic, he's up there. The thing that, you know, might ding him a little bit is the fact that he's only going to play three years and really his freshman Mm -hmm. year, he didn't play a ton. Um, He came in as like the number two, maybe three, if I'm remembering correctly, wide receiver in a class. So like he didn't come in as the guy um, and he worked himself into that. And, you know, again, just because of the, the era of college football that we're in, he's not going to play the full four years. So his numbers aren't going to be as high, but if you're just looking at pure skill and ability and perhaps what he could be in the NFL, I mean, Chris Carter is a tough guy to, to eclipse in terms of like the next level, because I think besides Jerry Rice, like you could make an argument that he is the most productive player at that position of his era. Um, but he's pretty great. I mean, like he's, I mean, he's, he's up there. I mean, he is, I think only the third, multiple-time consensus All-American in Ohio State history. Uh, wow. Yeah, two-time consensus uh, All-American. He's up there with – I'm going to forget who the first guy was, but Archie Griffin was the second. So, like, if you've only mm-hmm. gotten three and he's mm-hmm. one of them, that mm-hmm. speaks pretty highly to to where his place is in in the, you know, the aforementioned pantheon.
0: So, I mean, you know, the, the thing about being a receiver, and what I've always said about getting great receivers is that it's great to get one – But even the best receiver gets targeted, what, 10, maybe 11 times a game? Unless you're just crazy and and he can't be stopped. So as far as this offense moving, obviously you have a ton of blue-chip receivers. You have a ton of blue-chip skill position players. And Marvis Harrison stands out, but like, how essential is he to this offense being good? And what happens if he's not on the field?
2: I mean, obviously having him on the field is better than not. uh, Just because it it takes attention um, to focus on him, and that opens guys up. Emeka Ibuka is 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 another incredible wide receiver. If he comes back next season, which apparently is a possibility, that changes the dynamic of this team because I think if he were to leave, he could also be a first-round draft pick. I mean, I think he'd, he'd be a late first-round, maybe early second, but like he's a potential first-round pick. So you still have that type of skill, assuming Marv isn't there, but it does just move everybody up. As I mentioned, Julian Fleming, who was primarily a, a blocker, at the number three wide receiver role, um, he's gone. But you're going to have Carnell Tate, who's a true freshman, five-star guy, playing. Brandon Ennis will probably play more, who's another uh, top 100 wide receiver, true freshman. Xavier Johnson, who is – he's been everywhere. He's been a DB. He's been a running back. He's, oh. he's a, a, a wide receiver. He is a like a, a 12-year senior or whatever at this point. Uh, but he's a leader on the team. He got what Ohio State calls the Block O jersey. when a couple years ago. They, uh, you're allowed to use zero as a jersey, and that's given to a, a player who is a kind of exemplified the, the work ethic and the strength and the perseverance that you want, uh, dating back to uh, Ohio State legend and, and Hall of Famer Bill Willis. Um, so, like, there's going to be guys. It certainly hurts when Marv is not there because, you know, there's only so much attention that uh, a defense can pay, and when you've got one of the best players in college football, uh, attention is going to be on him. There are still going to be guys you know, because some of them are younger, it's tough to know what they'll be able to do against a, a an SEC-quality defense in a bowl game when they get their first real opportunity to start and to shine. But that, that's what's fun about bowl games. Like, you know, I, I said at the beginning, you come into this game and you look at it, it is an exhibition. Like, I mean, yes, it matters on the schedule, but it's not playing towards a conference championship. It's not playing towards a national championship. So you can be a little bit more loosey goosey when it comes to who plays, how much they play, what you ask them to do. And that's, what's fun for me. Like as, as a Buckeye fan, as somebody who covers a team, like that's exciting to see what these young guys can do. So I'm hoping that they still try to throw the ball. I'm hoping that they still try to like, get the ball into these guys' hands as much as they normally would. But if marv doesn't play which i you know 90 10 like i would put it 90 percent he's gone 10 percent he plays oh. um if he doesn't play a mecca will probably get a, a you know maybe not the same amount of coverage and, and attention that marv would have gotten but a pretty decent amount so that puts a lot of the onus on xavier johnson on carnell tate on on brandon ennis and, and we'll see what happens
0: so when i was uh running the preview for this game, and I was looking at Ohio State's roster, and I was looking at the advanced stats. And, and man, this is this is a defense is better than Georgia's this year, which is outstanding. Uh I can't I can't see any weaknesses. So I guess from someone who has obviously watched the team for a very, very long time. Yes, um, I'm old.
2: yes go ahead and say <laughs> it. It's fine. I'm old.
0: Fill in the blank. This is the greatest Ohio State defense since Ooh.
2: I mean, look, this is this is going to sound like one of those chicken little skies falling things um, that I mentioned kind of at the be at the beginning with the vocal minority. But 2019, I think, you know, numbers wise, this Ohio State defense was was great. I mean, they were a top 10 defense or maybe top 15 defense last year in the first year of defensive coordinator Jim Knowles, who you guys know, um, you know, just kind of by word of mouth. Um, it came from uh, Oklahoma state. Uh, and then this is his second year where they um, made another step forward and they are now a legitimately elite defense in terms of the numbers. That being said, big 10 offenses. Aren't that great? I mean, let's call a spade a spade. Ohio state yeah. played Notre Dame in the non-conference, a fine quality football program An offensive juggernaut. They are not. And, the big 10 teams that they played this season, Penn state, meh, Wisconsin, meh, you know, Michigan was, you know, the, uh, the number one team in the country, the best team they played on both office and defense. And like they scored 30 points against Ohio state, which was pretty impressive. Um, and Ohio state just kind of struggled in some areas to like, you know, in the red zone and, and things like that. So, I don't know what to make of them. I I think that it is a very good regular season defense, a a potentially great defense. They are number two in like points allowed per game nationally behind only Michigan. Um, They're like number three in total yardage as I'm looking kind of through these stats. They're number one in passing defense. Um, They're a little ways down in, in rushing defense, like 24 or something. So like, they're really, really good, but I don't know whether to say that that's because they are an elite defense or, the offensive they played have been average at best. So um we'll see. Maybe that's because I'm jaded and and spoiled as an Ohio State fan. But coming off of, you know, since Ryan Day took over in 2019, they had a, a, an elite defense in 2019. Jeff Halfley was the defensive coordinator. He played or he coached at Ohio State for one year. Then he went to become and also ran head coach at Boston College. Since then, the um, – the defense have kind of sucked. I mean, they've been bad. And then they bring in Jim Knowles in 2022. Improves. Another improvement here. I But I just don't know that I see a team that I trust like I trust some of those Jim Trestle, Silver Bullet defenses. So they're good. They're a very good defense. I, I trust them against Big Ten offenses. Do I trust them against someone else? I, who knows? I, I don't know.
0: So tell me tell me a little bit about this team because obviously you've got – You know, you got 12 games in the bag as like evidence of how they've played so far. At the end of the day, what does this offense want to do when they're playing comfortably, when they're playing happily? And what does this defense want to do when they are playing comfortably and they're playing happily?
2: I'll start on defense because I think that's a little bit easier to to dive into. In 2022, like I said, it was a good defense, but their bugaboo was giving up chunk plays. They gave up way too many. And against Michigan in 2022, they had like six plays of over 50 yards, four over 75 yards. It was a it was atrocious. That was because Jim Knowles likes liked to to blitz. He liked to bring pressure, but he completely kind of changed his point of view for this season. And Ohio State, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but going into the final game of the regular season was like the only team in the country to only give up one play of 40 yards or more, and it was on a fumble ruski to Rutgers. So like they Man. yeah, I mean, and whatever. Good, good for Greg Shiano. Yeah. Um, but their goal is going to be to keep things in front of them. Um, a lot of people have used the term bend but don't break, and and I understand why, because especially early in the season, they were giving up eight, six, four, and then they get to the red zone and then they would shut them down and either you know, get a turnover or, or force a field goal or whatever. But through the course of the season that there really wasn't much bending. I mean, it, they really just were keeping things to like three, four, two punt. And again, a lot of that can be attributed to the fact that that Big Ten offenses suck, but um that's going to be what they want to do. They want to keep everything in front of them. They don't want to get beat over the top. And, and that's the way they're going to go on offense like all offensive coaches do, they, they always preach balance, offense, defense, or I'm sorry, not um, run pass. They want to make sure that they are doing both things equally well with Kyle McCord though. Like you, you actually had to do it. Like when you had CJ Stroud or Justin Fields or Dwayne Haskins who were all first round NFL draft picks and, you know, all set their own various records in terms of big 10 and Ohio state football. Um, you were able to just throw the ball. I mean, and really just do whatever you wanted from a passing perspective. That wasn't the case this season. And I don't know what they're going to do with Devin Brown. So I think what they're going to try to do is, is run the ball on early downs, get ahead of the chains and then let Devin kind of make decisions on third down, whether that means he's going to get a, you know, a route tree that kind of gives him some different options. If it's going to be run pass options, if he's going to be able to scramble on his own, they're going to want to try to, to minimize the number of yards that he has to pick up in late down situations. I think if Trivion Henderson plays, that's a huge advantage to that because you can run him on first down, pick up four yards. You're in second and manageable. Uh, You get a couple more either from him or on a scramble or on uh, some sort of screen pass. And and you're in a good situation. So I think it's going to be about early down conversions and yardage for Ohio State, because like I said, their starting quarterback and the number one wide receiver are not going to be there, almost certainly for the uh, for the wide receiver, but definitely for the quarterback. So if they're able to do some some good stuff on early downs, I think that is probably going to be the main goal. And then after that is just figuring out what the sticks tell them they're capable of doing.
0: All right, we'll get you out of here on a prediction. And you can you can predict whatever you want. You gave me uh the the, the looseness on your show to kind of go with that with okay. any, any direction I want. So if it is a score, knock yourself out. If it's a scenario, what what give me something that you think is gonna happen in this game.
2: Okay. I imagine that Ohio State is gonna come out much more amped up than probably the majority of the fan base. And I think that's going to be a surprise for folks who have kind of slept walk through the past month because after losing for the third time to Michigan, like a lot of the fan base was just kind of like, I'm over it. Um, Not over the, not over Ohio state football because it's a religion and they're never going to be over it, but like it's the ups and downs. And so maybe they, they kind of checked out for the past few weeks and are just going to be tuning in and have it kind of been following along. But I think this team is, is amped. Like, I think they're ready. I think they're looking forward to this game. I think they want to prove something. I think they want to end this season on a high note. They have not been able to do that for a couple years. And I think they want to make sure that, that whoever leaves, leaves on a positive, uh, uh, leaves on a positive note. Like I said, I don't know what's going to happen on offense, but I do expect the defense to to play well, especially if JT Tumelo uh starts and, and plays. That will essentially give you the majority of the starters who are healthy that will be there. I mean, the defense will be the defense aside from any injuries. So I, I imagine Ohio State's defense will pose a, a fairly decent test for a fairly well-balanced Missouri offense. So I do think that, they're going to have – we're going to see a a low-scoring game. Whether that's low-scoring in terms of like 21-17 final or like 31-27 final, like who knows what low-scoring is in today's college football. But I think it's going to be close. But, you know, it really depends on what Devin Brown can do. If he is able to kind of unlock another level of this offense that has not been available to the Buckeyes this season because Kyle McCord just wasn't the guy – then I could see them pulling away a little bit and and being able to use some of that five star elite blue chip talent on offense. Like I said earlier, or maybe it was on the, the version of this uh, podcast that we did for Land Grant. I'm not going to bet on Devin Brown to do that just because we haven't seen him do that before. So I'm gonna I'm gonna err on the side of it being a fairly close lower scoring game. I could imagine a situation where just because of the sheer amount of talent that is on offense depending on who comes back um that Devin brown could have a really good game we've seen young ohio state players do it in bowl games we saw it in in a uh in a rose bowl a couple seasons ago but uh if i had to pick something right now i would imagine a close scoring game in the 24 21 range and i'll take ohio state because Look at the shirt and the hat I'm wearing. Of course, I'm picking Ohio State. Sure, but like I, you know, no situ- no scenario in this game would surprise me, other than perhaps Ohio State's defense getting run off the field, and that's has nothing to do with Missouri's offense because, as we talked about on our, so like I think they're a really good balanced offense, but I, I just think like the defense is a little bit more. We know what they are, especially with, with mm. who's coming back. So that's where I'm going right now. I completely reserve the right to change my mind by the time we publish our official predictions on the 29th, <laughs> but as of now. Not knowing everything, that's where I'm at. Sure.
0: Very good. That is uh, Matt Temanini. He's from Land Grant Holy Land. You can find him on Twitter at BWWMatt. That's going to be the preview. Matt, thank you for the time. Appreciate it, man.
1: I appreciate it, Nate. Have a good one and enjoy the game. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in to Rock M Radio, a proud partner of Fans First Sports Network. If you enjoyed this episode and would like to see more, just like it beamed directly into your personal device, just click the subscribe button below. Uh, and you can find this podcast through the Apple Podcast app or for iPhone or the Google Podcast app for Android or whatever app you use to listen to your podcast. Uh, we are also available on Spotify to search for Rock M Radio. Uh, and if you like other sports, Fans First Sports Network uh, is a podcast network that has uh, coverage of all other teams, Major League Baseball, uh, MLS, uh, NFL, whatever you want uh, to listen and and read about it is a great great network full of really fantastic podcasts so look them up and subscribe uh to any and all of those podcasts uh rock m radio will be back with more episodes coming soon thanks